The year was 1450 BC. And in the hot, dry desert sands of Egypt sat 600,000 Israelites. This group of people, old and young, from babies to the elderly, men and women, they are all on what we know as one of the most famous historical occasions in human history known as the Exodus. Now, they had spent hundreds of years in extreme slavery, and now they find themselves in a pressure cooker of a situation. They're between a rock and a hard place, literally. The Israelites, 600,000 strong, yet weak, uh, many of them malnourished, are facing one of the most insurmountable obstacles that you could imagine. In front of them, in the way, sits the Red Sea, a massive body of water that they are not going to be able to cross on their own. And behind them, bearing down upon this group of people, is the greatest army in the world at that time, the Egyptian army. The Bible tells us that 600 of their best chariots were coming, and that was just the best. All the other chariots joined in as well. These are trained fighters. They are warfare experts, and they are bearing down on 600,000 plus men and women, children, elderly and young, and they are coming strong. This is an incredible situation. This is a situation uh, that seems to be impossible. And in fact, without miraculous intervention, it was impossible. So what did they do? Well, that's what this teaching series we're beginning today is all about. And why is this relevant to us? Why is this ancient story going to tell us so much, going to teach us so much? Well, here's why. Because we all face our own Red Seas, don't we? We all know what it feels like to have our back against the wall. We know what it feels like uh, when the situation seems impossible. In fact, right now in our world, we face what seems like uh, impossible odds. It seems like there's a Red Sea in front of all of us with, with all of these things coming at us. For one, the backdrop to our current situation is a global pandemic that many of us have never seen anything of the like in our lifetimes. It seems like the answers to the situation are all confusing and even competing and in disagreement. And it seems like no one really knows what to do next. And then on top of all that, our nation is in the middle of extreme racial strife and division. And we look to leadership and there seems to not be a lot of it. There seems to be confusion across the country as great cities and small cities are in the middle of this strife. With all of that going on, we know what it feels like, don't we? to face the Red Sea, but not only on a macro level, but on a micro level in our own lives. In a more personal sense, we have what I would call more intimate Red Seas that we face. Some of you are facing a Red Sea of your own. It's financial for some. Some of you have lost your businesses and your income, and you don't know what's going to happen next. Now, some of you have health issues, not related at all to the COVID uh, situation. In fact, the COVID situation may have made the situation worse because it's been hard to get health care. You know what it feels like. Some of you have relational issues in your family, in your marriage, with your children that seem like the Red Sea that you just can't get through. We all know what it feels like to have our back against the wall, but many of us don't know what to do. That's why this story is so relevant. This story is going to teach us so much. In fact, this summer we're going to go to school and the Israelites in that desert, they're going to be our teachers. And what we call these things we're going to learn are the Red Sea Rules.
So how did the Israelites end up in this incredible situation with the Red Sea in front of them and the powerful Egyptian army behind them? What led up to this event? Well, to know that, we need to take a little history lesson, a little history tour through the Bible, and let's see what happens. So if you look back, you have to go to Jacob and his sons, uh, who had one son in particular named Joseph. You may remember him as a kid. He was a dreamer, and he was also his dad's favorite. His dad got him a coat of many colors. This did not help the situation. And his brothers had had enough of his dreaming and his privileges. And they decided that they would get rid of their brother. They didn't want to murder him. uh, So they sold him into Egyptian slavery. So this Israelite family ends up in turmoil. The brothers go back and lie to their dad. And Joseph ends up on a journey that that, that became famous, right? We've all heard it. We've learned so much from it. Joseph goes into Egyptian slavery. And for a decade, he spends some time in a rich man's house. And that doesn't go so well. He ends up in prison where he could have been executed. But in the end, through the miraculous sovereign hand of God and Joseph's incredible character and godliness, he continues to rise up in the Egyptian ranks. And this incredible young man, Joseph, ends up unbelievably as the second in command of all of Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful country in the world, had the best education, had the best advancements as far as technology goes. They were agricultural. They could build uh, architectural, all of that. They were the best. And Joseph ends up, because of his wisdom and his extreme talent and his hard work and integrity, he ends up becoming second in command of the Pharaoh. He was so powerful that the Pharaoh gave him his signet ring. What this means is Joseph had the same authority as the Pharaoh, if you will. When he put that ring on, he had command of Egypt. And because of his wisdom and how good he was, a drought that hit the entire world seemed to affect everyone except for Egypt because Joseph was so good at what he did and he was such a great planner. So that story is amazing. And what Joseph does in the middle of that drought is he ends up saving his own family. Jacob and the brothers come because they need help. They're starving to death. Joseph was ready to help. And if you know the story, they end up figuring out who he is when he reveals himself to them. And they think Joseph's going to hold it over them. But instead, Joseph invites them to Egypt, and that's where they land. And that's the story of how the Israelites got to Egypt. But the problem is, years later, a few decades later, Joseph died. And when he died, a new Pharaoh came around, and the new Pharaoh did not know Joseph or respect him. And the story of the Israelites went from a good one to a bad one really fast. And what happened is the Israelites ended up in slavery to Egypt. It was a bad situation. It was a brutal situation. And for hundreds of years, the Israelites would now live underneath the the horrible rule, the whip, if you will, of Egypt. And they built things for them and they worked for them. It was a bad, bad situation. And then one day, the Israelites, even under this incredible toil and rule, they began to grow as a people. And they kept having babies and they kept getting bigger. And you know what? They end up being five to 600,000 people strong. And the Pharaoh looked one day at his slave population and decided that they were getting too big and that they could overtake the Egyptians if they weren't careful. So he declares one of the most barbaric and evil uh, edicts, decisions that a leader's ever done. He decided that all the male children who were born should be killed. And that's what they did. They started killing babies. Except there was one woman in uh, the Israelite camp who had a baby and she decided that she didn't want her baby to be killed. 
His name was Moses, and she put him famously in a basket and floated him across the Nile. And guess who picks that basket up? By God's sovereign hand. Again, you look back at Scripture, you see the sovereign hand of God. A woman in Pharaoh's own household picks up that basket with baby Moses in it. And then Moses is raised as an Egyptian child in Pharaoh's home. This is a stunning story. It's an amazing story. Moses grows up. Many uh, theologians and experts historically believe that he became a military leader for Egypt. He grew up learning from the best. He was, a, he, he was really talented. And at 40 years old, he ends up seeing one of the Hebrew slaves being beaten. And he began to realize that he was one of those Hebrews. And the Bible tells us that Moses killed an Egyptian. He thought no one saw it, but people did. And when they did, the Egyptians began to turn on Moses himself. Moses fled Egypt. He went into the Midian desert and he spent 40 years as a sheep herder. He took care of the animals in the desert. He thought that would be the end of things. But at 80 years old on the side of a mountain, a bush caught on fire and it was no desert fire as usual. It was God himself speaking to Moses in a burning bush. And God gives Moses a new mission for his life. And he tells him, my people have been under this slavery all these years, and I want the Pharaoh to let my people go. I'm going to rescue my people, and you're going to help me do it. And after a long back-and-forth conversation, Moses, with the help of Aaron, they go to the Pharaoh, and they demand that he let God's people go. You might know the story. Pharaoh is a hard guy. Probably Moses and Pharaoh knew each other as children. Pharaoh says, I'm not letting those people go. They are my economy. They're making things roll in Egypt. I'm not letting them go. And then plagues begin to happen in Egypt. God begins to judge Egypt. And the plagues are horrific. And each plague raises the stakes until finally God says, I'm going to take that firstborn son of the Egyptians. This is incredible. It's where we get the Passover. The Hebrews were told to put the blood over their doorpost, and the, the death angel uh, flies over the Hebrews' homes, but those Egyptian children end up dying, and the Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. So he sends 600,000 of his slave labor force out of Egypt. He wants them out. But as they are leaving, and I'm sure they were so excited and so happy, and as they're going along, they end up in a place where we pick up the story today. They end up with a Red Sea in front of them, and they end up with the Egyptian army behind them. Why? Because Pharaoh woke up, and he decided, are you kidding me? Even though this, this plague issue has been really bad, I'm sick of this, and I cannot lose my entire economic slave force. And he was mad. So he sends his entire army after them. And that's how we get to where we are today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Exodus, and we're going to look at what the Bible tells us. Because you may go, how did the Israelites end up there? If Moses knew the ground, if he knew the lay of the land, why would he lead 600,000 people to the edge of the Red Sea where they would be trapped, where things would not go well? Why in the world would a smart man like Moses, who had grown up in Egypt, he knew the geography, why would he end up there? The answer may surprise you. Let's go to Exodus 14. We're going to look at the verse, first couple of verses. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Heroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Sephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. 
Now, this is interesting, isn't it? And here's where we learn, guys, Red Sea rule number one. We're going to look at a different rule each week, a different thing that we can learn from this story. But the first one we learn is this. Wherever you are, God has either placed you there or allowed you to be there. And that's rule number one. And when you begin to understand that truth, it'll change how you face your own Red Sea. The Israelites probably could not believe that suddenly they were facing a body of water that they couldn't get through with the Egyptian army bearing down on them. But when you look at Scripture, you find out God Himself led them there. God Himself placed them there. What we're going to learn today is why He did that and that He had really good reasons for it. And in doing so, we will learn Red Sea Rule number one. The great writer and theologian A.W. Tozer said this, To the child of God there is no such thing as an accident. Uh, we see that in the life of the Israelites, and we can apply that to our own lives. Now, see, these stories in the Old Testament are not just there for our entertainment or for great bedtime stories for our kids. These stories are for all of us. They're to help us live life. In fact, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament was written, the stories of old were written to instruct us and to inspire us to follow God and to persevere when times are tough. So that's why this story is here. It's a great story. It's a true story, by the way. But it's there to help us face our own Red Seas. It's here to face, help us face our impossible situations. So as A.W. Tozer said, there are no accidents for us. And we have to understand that. The Israelites have a choice now. They can either panic, which they do. The Israelites are going to panic. But if you can move from panic to praise, that's an incredible journey. And what's going to happen is the Israelites are indeed going to praise God when they see His miraculous splitting of the Red Sea. But they didn't praise Him in the beginning. What if we can learn from the Israelites that if we would trust God in the beginning of our Red Sea situations, if we would uh, refuse to panic and instead praise immediately, what if that would be the key to getting through some of our tough situations? See, when we trust this idea that our God is sovereign... It changes everything. And what does sovereignty mean? It means that He is in total authority and total power over all things. So here's the deal. God is either sovereign or He's not. So we can't just trust God with certain situations and then refuse to trust Him in others. Listen, if God can handle your eternity, then He can handle whatever your Red Sea situation is. The Israelites were terrified. In fact, they even say to Moses here in the scriptural account, they say, did you really lead us out here to die? Did you really, instead of letting us have graves in Egypt, just bring us here to the Red Sea to die? They get angry. They panic. But what they didn't realize is that God had a plan. And listen, you need to understand this. God always has a plan. That's why Red Sea rule number one is so important. Wherever you are, whatever your Red Sea is, you can bet on this. God knows where you are. He's sovereign. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't lost you in the mix. And wherever you are, He either placed you there, meaning He orchestrated the circumstances to get you there, and that's true of the situation with the Israelites, or He allowed it. He allowed the situation to take place. And if He either orchestrated it or allowed it, He is, and here's the guarantee for all believers, for the Israelites and for you and I, no matter what Red Sea we face, he is going to use it. He's going to use it for His glory and your good. And understanding that in the beginning will help you handle the journey better. The Israelites had nothing to panic about. 
God was about to show them in one of the most miraculous ways in human history that He was God and that He was in control and that He was more powerful than uh, the Egyptians. He says so. He tells Moses, here's why I'm doing this. See, here's the beauty of this. We get the why behind the what of the Israelite situation in the Red Sea they faced. The Bible tells us that is there for you to understand and learn. What are we to learn? Here's the deal. We are to learn that no matter the situation, God always has a plan and a purpose. The difference is the Israelites didn't have the Bible in their hands to show them what was about to happen to them. And guess what? You and I don't either. We don't have the luxury of knowing what God's plan is all the time, do we? And that's where faith comes in. That's where we have to begin to trust God. The Israelites kind of failed the test. They didn't trust Him until the Red Sea split. They had to learn to trust Him more. We don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. We don't know what's next. What's the economy going to do? This may be one of the most uncertain times in all of our lives. We don't know. But here's what we know if we are believers. We believe that whatever happens, God's going to write Romans 8, 28 across the top of it for all believers. And that says that for those of us who are called according to His purposes, who love God, that He is going to work all things together for our good and for His glory. That is the promise of Scripture that we have. So we don't get the luxury of pulling back the curtain and seeing what God's always up to. But we have this story. We have this story from the Scriptures of 600,000 Israelites who had no idea why they were trapped, why they were up against the wall. But God had a plan, and He told Moses. In fact, if you look at the geography of how the Israelites moved through the land, it was erratic. It wasn't a straight line. And why did He do that? Well, God tells Moses, the reason I've got you running all over the place to get to the Red Sea is I want the Egyptians to come after you. I'm baiting them. I want them to think that you guys are confused, that you don't know where to go, and that you're vulnerable. I want that. And then God says, and here's exactly, look at this. Just look at the precision. God says, here's exactly where I want you to camp. Here's where I want you to put the 600,000. And he tells them why. God tells Moses, I am putting my people in an impossible situation so that I can show them that I'm faithful and so that I can show Egypt that I am powerful. God always has a plan. And we don't always know what it is, but we have to learn as we walk with God and we learn these Red Sea rules to know this. Whatever the situation, God has a plan. And that plan is eventually going to be good for us and glorifying to Him. Understanding Red Sea rule number one will help us take the journey of our lives when we face our own Red Sea situations in a much more confident and much more biblical way, in a much more Christ-exalting way, which is what all of us as believers should hope for in our lives. That when we face the Red Sea moments, that we pass the test and that we grow and that we walk in a way that's worthy of the name of Christ that's been placed on our lives. Now, this perspective that you get does not change the situation itself. You still go through hard times. You still are going to have the Red Sea moments. It's still going to be tough. It's still going to be hard. But your perspective and the biblical truth, not just any old perspective, but having a biblical lens by which you see the world will change how you see situations. We see this in the guy we referenced earlier. If you remember, we talked about Joseph. Joseph was sold into Egyptian slavery. That's how this whole situation got started. Now, I don't know about you, but if people I loved and trusted, like my own brothers, 
If they had sold me into slavery, I might not be so happy about it. I might not be very kind when I got the chance to get back at them. But Joseph did not do that. If you look in the book of Genesis, you'll see uh, what happened in Genesis 45 and 5. His brothers end up in Egypt. They're starving to death because of a worldwide famine that Joseph, because of his talent and wisdom, has prepared Egypt for. And here are his brothers. And now he is wearing the ring of authority for the Pharaoh. He can take his brothers down. And his brothers, by the way, now know who he is. And they feel horrible. And, and, and here's the deal. What you see here is that his brothers realize that they've created kind of a Red Sea situation of their own. They've created a really bad issue. Their sin and their guilt comes crashing down upon them. But listen to what Joseph says to them in verse 5. He says, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Watch this. Here's perspective. Here's a biblical lens. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Listen, Joseph saw the plan. Joseph, though it was hard, though he probably wished a million times that it hadn't gone the way it did, Joseph began to see from his maturity and his faith in a holy and sovereign God that God had a plan. And he also saw the total futile nature of his brothers wallowing around in their own shame. So he looks at him and says, guys, look, God had a plan. Let's forget this. Let's put it behind us. That is what perspective looks like. Joseph could have very easily stayed angry and not grown in the situation and gotten mad at God and mad at his brothers. And instead, Joseph doesn't get angry at anyone. Instead, Joseph understands that Red Sea moments are opportunities for Red Sea growth in our lives. And when you go to the gym, it's not the comfortable moments. It's not sitting around drinking water and Gatorade that makes you stronger. It's when you tear the muscles down. You can't have true change without tough times. That's what happens here. In fact, let me give you a few things you can believe as a believer. As a believer, when you face your Red Sea situation, number one, you can know that God is sovereign over that situation. He has not forgotten you, and He knows where you are. God is sovereign. Now, secondly, you are in His keeping. In other words, God is not going to allow anything into your life that hasn't already come before His throne. Thirdly, you're also under His development meaning that God is going to build you up in the middle of a situation that seems to be tearing you down. God is doing great work in the construction site of your life when you face your own Red Sea situations. And finally, you are there for His time. He is in charge of how long you're going to be there. And if you try to wiggle out from under it because you just want to go be comfortable again and you just don't want to deal with this like the, the Israelites. The Israelites said to Moses, let's go back to Egypt. But Egypt's not where God wanted them to be. And they very well would have disobeyed God and went right back to Egypt into slavery if they could have. But instead, Moses, a great leader, pushed them forward into the greatest miracle of their lives. And many of us, I think, miss our greatest growth moments because we just want to get away from our Red Sea situations. What if God put you there because He's going to grow you there? You can trust these things when it comes to your Red Sea situations every day single time. So what you find out when you face your own Red Sea situation like the Israelites is that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. They thought the story was over. The story was just beginning because a sovereign, powerful God can split the Red Sea in front of us. He's doing a million things when it looks like He's only doing one. In this situation, He's defeating 
the armies of Egypt to show His great power. He's growing the faith of His people as He shows them what He can do. And then He demonstrates His great power even over nature as He splits the Red Sea. What is God doing in your life? Here's what I can guarantee. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your Red Sea looks like, God is the way maker. He makes a way, there seems to be no way.
So our God makes a way where there seems to be no way. And how do we know that He can make a way in our Red Sea situations? Because we have the historical Red Sea miracle known as the Exodus to look at and see the character, the faithfulness, and the power of our God. So what do we do when we face our situations? Whatever Red Sea you're facing today, let me give you three things. First of all, embrace your Red Sea moment. Instead of kicking against it and trying to wiggle out from under it, embrace it. You now understand the rule, right? That no matter what your situation, God either placed you there or He allowed you to be there. He's going to write Romans 8.28 across the top of it in the end. You can trust that. So instead of running from your Red Sea moment, face it. Embrace it. And know that God is up to something good. Secondly, make this transition. Begin to ask what instead of why. Begin to say, God, what do you want to do in my life in this Red Sea situation Instead of saying, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Why have you put my back against the wall like this? There's a sense of an underlying entitlement, by the way, in that question at times. We look at God and we go, hey, I thought we had a deal here. I thought that I was a believer. I thought that I was on the inside. And and what I want you to understand is, is, guys, throughout the Bible, we get the history of walking with God. God walks us through the valleys. He walks us through really hard times. It's His way of growing us as fertilizer for our faith. So instead of us sitting around and going, why am I here? What if we begin to ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to show the world as I walk through this? Now that is a question. The what question is a question that could change your perspective and your situation. And then finally, lean on God and not yourself. Learn to lean on God and not yourself. One great writer said this, Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of faith. And so when you face your Red Sea situations, like we all are right now collectively, and like many of you are right now individually, face it knowing these truths. And my prayer is that this Red Sea rule number one will begin to shape how you look at whatever situations come into your life, no matter what you're going through. God is sovereign and He's in control. I think the words of 1 Peter would be a fitting way to kind of end the day. And I just want you to hear His words to believers who were facing in the New Testament a Red Sea situation. Persecution, danger, imprisonment, possible execution. And here's what He said in 1 Peter 4, 12-13. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Let's not act like Red Sea situations are strange. Let's not be surprised by them. Let's expect them to come and honor God in them and watch God grow us as we go through them. And my friends, that is Red Sea rule number one.